Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Hello, pumpkins, and welcome to our very special haunted house episode of Soft Landing. Halloween is only two weeks away, and I wanted to help everyone get in the seasonal spirit by tackling the topic that is in the center of the Venn diagram of spookiness and interior design. I'm, of course, referring to haunted houses. Did you know that one in four people believe their home is inhabited by some kind of otherworldly presence? And nearly 40% of Americans believe in ghosts in some form or another. While I tend to fall in the skeptics category, I do take a never-say-never approach when I hear people tell me their experiences with strange occurrences in their spaces, and I hear stuff all the time. I'm no paranormal expert, and I cannot confirm or deny the existence of spirits, but I do know there are a lot of things that make a building or a room feel haunted that aren't related to things beyond the veil. So today, I'm going to step through all the different line items you can check off before calling Teresa Caputo, and these are all great things to do even if you don't suspect your home of unwanted visitors. A lot of these things are just good home practices that will help your space seem happy, safe, and cozy. All right, let's start out with what to keep an eye out for when you're in the market for a new place. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as they say. If you find yourself particularly sensitive to ghostly experiences, and even if you don't, I would recommend doing some research about the plot of land or the building you're looking at. What did it used to be? Who used to live there? Were there any non-residential uses for it before the building that's there now? What's the history? So a basic Google search will bring up anything that may have been newsworthy that happened in this space you're looking at. But you can also ask your real estate agent if there's some documented history on the home. You can also think about looking at things like census records or the National Registry of Historic Places to see if there's any documentation on who lived there or what it was before. You can also visit your local historical society and look up that address. This is a good thing to do because you just never know what the history of a space is. Even if the building is brand new, 90% of the time, there was something there before. If you've seen the movie Poltergeist, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I recommend it. It's a spooky classic. And without spoiling the movie, I will say that the characters find out about their home's background the hard way. But I also have a real-world example I wanted to share with you. There's a newer-looking apartment building here in Brooklyn, where I live, and it's in a fantastic location. It's got a view of the park, and I remember walking past it and feeling very curious. The architecture around the entrance of the apartment building looked really unusual and it's not what a typical residential apartment building would look like. 
there's a tall glass postmodern looking atrium that runs all the way up the building and it looks a little bit more like an office building or a hospital or maybe like a community college or something. So I, of course, went home and had to look it up, not because I was looking to move, but I just nerd out about buildings. And it was, in fact, a hospital at one time. But the hospital closed many years ago, as many hospitals do. And eventually, some developers bought it and turned it into apartments. But one of the news articles I read had all of these accounts of very strange goings on in the apartments. And there were definitely tenants that thought that the building was haunted. I specifically remember reading that the building's communal gym was located in the basement in the exact same place that the old hospital morgue had been. For me, that's definitely a creep factor of 10, ghosts or not. Although I'm sure plenty of people would say that the views to the park make up for the unexpected company. So let's say you're concerned about the space you're already in. You've moved in, you live there, you've been there for a while, and now you're starting to notice weird things. I'm going to give you a little checklist for you to make sure that nothing of the temporal world is causing the disruptions in your space. Now, first and foremost, let's do a quick safety check. This is actually a super serious thing, and I don't want to make light of it at all because it's a dangerous situation that harms people every year. Many instances of perceived hauntings and ghostly occurrences have been documented as a result of hallucinations that are a result of slow and steady carbon monoxide poisoning from things such as a leaky old furnace. Carbon monoxide hallucinations range from hearing footsteps in other rooms to feeling as though you are being touched or even pushed. While most homes come with smoke detectors installed, it may be worth going out and purchasing a separate carbon monoxide detector for your home. You can even buy ones that are portable so you can have them with you when you travel to a hotel, an Airbnb, or even a friend's house. It's a really good precaution to take even if you are not sensing that something is off in your space as oftentimes carbon monoxide leaks do not have warning signs or smells. And you can always call a specialist to come out and do an assessment of your heating and cooling items in your home, just to make sure. Okay, so now that we've all made sure we are safe, let's move on to another common cause for things that go bump in the night, which is drafts. I'm talking random areas with cold spots or breezes that push your door shut. Drafts can come from the usual suspects, such as doors, windows, attics, but even things like electrical outlets and plumbing fixtures can cause these creepy sensations. You can start by checking the seals around your windows and replace any of the weather stripping if it needs to be new. You can also make a small investment in a caulking gun and seal around things like electrical outlets, hardwired lighting, and plumbing fixtures. Even the entrance to your attic, ducts, chimney flashing, you can really seal it all up. 
You can also use draft stoppers along the bottoms of doors and install insulation kits at your windows. Now keep in mind that the older the building, the more likely there is to be some kind of draft, although plenty of newer buildings have them too. Older buildings in general tend to settle and shift quite a bit, so let's talk about what can cause that. The most common noise a building will make is a squeak in the floor. And I wanna talk about what causes floor squeaks because sometimes they happen when you walk over them and sometimes they only happen at certain times in the day and sometimes they seem to happen all on their own. So, okay, if you can visualize with me for a second, look down at your floor. You probably see some kind of carpeting or hardwood floor, maybe a porcelain tile if you're in your kitchen or some kind of resilient vinyl flooring. If you were to take that flooring and peel it up with your hands, pry it off the surface, what would be below that is what is called a subfloor. Subflooring is laid down on a surface as a nice, clean, and level base for your final flooring choice. In residential construction, it's often a sheet of oriented strand board or OSB, which pretty much looks like compressed mulch. You've probably seen it laying around Home Depot at some point in your life. But it could also be a sheet of plywood or even poured concrete in some cases. If you were to pry back the subflooring, you would see what are called floor joists. Floors are framed out similarly to walls, but instead of having studs as the supportive structure, they're called joists. Even though they're conceptually very similar, structurally they're very different, so they get a different name. You can think of it as basically a giant wood grid that you're walking on. So, of these components in our floor, if any of the floor joists or a portion of the subflooring are not level and they're creating any kind of friction, or even the subflooring is a little bit loose, squeaks will definitely occur. This happens when floors are not constructed properly or if any moisture gets between the floor. It can also just happen over time because wood is an organic material that does slightly deteriorate to some degree over the years. And don't forget about thermal expansion. This concept is the idea that as a building heats up over the course of a day from the cooler morning to the warmer say late afternoon like 4 p.m time the wood will swell and grow causing creaking to occur anywhere the wood is even slightly loose and thermal expansion can cause noises in other locations not just floors so you may hear things in walls and ceilings personally the reason I've experienced hearing weird noises in my walls has almost always been attributed to pests and critters. When I lived in Ohio, it was raccoons, but even here in the big old city, little tiny mice can make it all the way up to the fourth floor of a walk-up apartment building and shuffle back and forth right in the wall behind your headboard, which is very unpleasant and very annoying. However, it's definitely not a ghost. The next thing I want to talk about is veering into the theoretical research world a little bit. 
there is a concept I want to tell you about that has a lot of scientific backing, and this is part of a set of principles identified by an environmental and sustainability firm called Terrapin Bright Green. I will leave a link to their website below. They've got a lot of really cool research. So Terrapin Bright Green identified several principles um, around this overall concept called biophilia, which relates to human beings' desire to replicate nature in their everyday environments or to basically bring the outdoors in. And while this can relate directly just to having plants and greenery in your home, there are also natural concepts that come into play. So the concept I want to talk about is referred to as prospect and refuge. And what this is, is referring to in any space, so definitely interior spaces, but it also applies to public parks, city planning, and other types of controlled environments. In any space, there needs to be a balance between enclosed and open spaces. This can affect a lot of different things, and the imbalance in either direction can be extremely off-putting. So if you think about an open-plan home, the open part usually includes the kitchen, the dining room, and the living room, typically, right? And that is providing the concept of prospect in the prospect and refuge concept. So you're able to gaze out ahead of you and around you and survey your territory, Refuge would be the enclosed bedroom or bathroom where you can go to regroup, recover, recharge, have a private conversation, or eavesdrop on someone in the dining room. This all may seem fairly straightforward, but the need for this balance is actually ingrained in our DNA. It goes back to hunter-gatherer human times where we needed to have a place to duck away and to look out along the horizon for potential threats to survey what was coming next. So, for example, when you think about something like an open office environment, Many people complain of feeling exposed or distracted because there aren't enough areas of refuge to provide a sense of privacy or a place to focus without interruption. On the other hand, getting back to our haunted house theme, if you have too much refuge, a space can feel mysterious and spooky, like there isn't the ability to see what's around the corner. You may experience this in older homes where all of the rooms are super enclosed with lots of narrow hallways and way too many twists and turns. A classic example of this is the Stanley Kubrick film The Shining. If you go inside the Overlook Hotel where the main characters are staying for the winter, the famous scene where Danny is riding his tricycle down what feels like an endless corridor with no natural light and no ability to see what is ahead is absolutely terrifying. This is an example of not enough prospect. So if your home feels too open or too constricted, it's easy to imagine you might feel a sense of unease and not really know why. Plenty of homes, and especially like apartment buildings, are laid out this way. I was helping a friend in her search for an apartment, and she would forward me floor plans that she was getting from her realtor. And I remember one was 
basically 90% hallway. I mean, I'm talking about like, I've seen many railroad apartments here in New York City, but this, this wasn't even wide enough to be considered a railroad apartment. It was just a hallway that led to a single room. And even though that very long hallway added to the overall square footage of the apartment, so it looked like you were getting a good deal, I knew the layout was going to feel uncomfortable no matter what. So I told her to pass. Ugh, speaking of that hallway from The Shining, another thing about it that makes it so creepy is that carpet pattern. And if you haven't seen the movie The Shining, you can look up the carpet pattern, Google it. I'll, I'll link some pictures to it um, in the show notes because it's quite a, how do I want to say this? It's a striking pattern, let's say that, right? The never-ending network of red hexagons can really overwhelm your senses, and that adds to the level of disorientation caused by the twists and turns of the hallway. Now, this particular pattern was actually designed by legendary English interior designer David Hicks, who I'm a huge fan of, and the pattern feels much less menacing when it's done in more subtle colors. There's a ton of analysis on this carpet pattern and its symbolism in the movie, but for me, one of the things about this pattern that puts me on edge is how it feels like a giant beehive, which naturally makes me feel like I need to be on guard. The shapes and images we surround ourselves with can have this type of effect on our nervous systems, so if anything in your home gives you a heightened sense of alertness, whether it's a throw pillow or a piece of furniture, you don't have to keep it around. I would be remiss if I didn't mention another horror movie classic home, and that is the one from the movie Amityville Horror. Amityville, Long Island is not too far away from New York City, and aside from the home's horrific true crime history, the look of the house itself is very off-putting due to the third floor windows, which are little quarter rounds. These windows can trigger the phenomenon of pareidolia, which is the natural human tendency to ascribe pattern meaning, and even personification of an inanimate object. Other good examples of this are the act of cloud gazing and saying, this one looks like a lion, that one looks like an ice cream cone, I usually see ice cream cones, or even the face on a full moon that most people see. Hey, even Disney has made an entire empire via pareidolia with animated movies like Cars and the menagerie of animated objects that make up the cleaning staff in the movie Beauty and the Beast, the animated movie. And as far as the Amityville house, these windows end up looking like squinty, evil eyes, and they were so disturbing and also so iconic that they were remodeled to be regular square windows after the movie was released. Also, I think to just protect the privacy of the home, because <laughs> anyone can drive by it. The tendency to see creepy faces, patterns, or even messages in objects around us, think people seeing pictures of Marilyn Monroe in their burnt toast, is perfectly natural, and some re researchers suspect it 
again, relates back to our basic survival instincts of identifying and interpreting facial expressions of those around us to better foster relationships and ultimately community and safety. Now, all this aside, if you're still feeling like there's an unwanted spirit in your home, I would recommend treating it like any other issue. Consult a professional. There are plenty of paranormal experts out there that will analyze your space and give you feedback on how to treat the situation. Ultimately, your home needs to be a place of calm and respite for you. If something feels off, whether it's ghosts or that you realize you don't like your duvet cover anymore, what's important is that you identify it, assess it, and take action to change it. And that's big because for many of us, change can be the scariest thing of all. We'll get into that in the next episode. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful day. If you've made it this far, congratulations. You've made it to the end of the spooky Halloween episode. You guys are so awesome. I love you all. And we'll talk again next week.